And the rest of us, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And welcome this morning to God's Word Baptist Church in our Sunday school hour. Uh, we are continuing on with... Uh, Chapter 3, and uh, again, learning about these 12 principles that Paul outlines for us for a believer. Uh, Very clearly, there are principles that we need to make sure are uh, being displayed in our life. These are things that uh, God has an expectation of, and if I dare say a commandment, that we would do. Uh, These are things that uh, obviously are going to keep that relationship tight with Jesus Christ. It's going to keep uh, us in his word. It's going to keep us in his will above all things, which is extremely important. And what we find is we find that this often requires some change in our mindset and a change in our behaviors in order to follow through with what Paul is setting forth here in these passages. And we got down there, uh, to, uh, you know, verse, uh, verse 12, and we started looking at the sixth thing, but verse uh, 14 clearly points out something that is in relationship with the previous, uh, principle. And the previous principle deals a lot with how we deal with one another. As believers, as a, as, as a congregation, as a group that we are, it's how do we interact with each other? Uh, how do we interact with the church, the body of Christ, other believers that even are outside of this congregation? Uh, these are all things that we have to take a look at in our, in our life and make sure that they align with what God's expectations are. Now he went through in uh, verse 12 and in verse 13, outlining exactly how we are supposed to behave towards each other. And in order to do that, one of the things that he points out in verse 14, where he says, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. In order to bring everything together, perfect the way that God wants, complete the way that God wants, charity has to be used. Charity must be part of it. Uh, if you've done any type of baking or anything of that nature, you know there are ingredients that are required to make that, uh, um, if you will, whatever it is you're baking, make it edible, tasty. Uh, some things uh, require, and not everything requires flour. There are some flourless things out there. But if you're wanting to make a good quality uh, homemade bread or something of that nature, one of the things that you need to do is you need to make sure that you've got flour. If you don't have flour, well, you're not going to have the right kind of bread. It might be something different. And whether you're using a gluten-free type or whatever it is, just set that aside. There are certain things that we know that make bread, bread. Otherwise, it's something else. Uh, you know, if you're, just as a perfect example, if you're going to try to make Kung Pao chicken at home, you need chicken to be the ingredient. <laughs> Just, I mean, as a simple understanding, that has to be there. I mean, you might skip the peanuts, you might put in different vegetables or something of that nature, but if you're making Kung Pao chicken, you need to have chicken. If you're going to be, uh, 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 a, 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 and we are, because we're saved, a member of the body of Christ, you must have charity involved. Turn over 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians 8, and I just want to pick up a couple of these verses that we, uh, just again, to, to emphasize the importance of charity again. God says charity is very important. In uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and if you go through again, as I said, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, you find God building to that principle in chapter 13. Chapter 13 deals with charity, and we're not going to read through the whole thing, but charity is important, as he mentions in the last verse, where he says, you know, faith, hope, and charity, and he says uh, that, that, that charity is what is needed Greater than the, the, the faith, greater than the hope, charity is something that is going to help those other two be fruitful in our lives. In verse 1 of chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Now, uh, touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. He starts bringing up this principle of charity, how we treat one another. Because again, as you go through this book of First Corinthians, you'll find it deals a lot with how they treat each other in this church at Corinth. And you start getting into some of those details. I mean, in chapter chapter eleven, he goes through uh, the principle of the the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. You know, people today kind of disregard that whole issue. To disregard the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is to disobey God. I mean, let's just you be honest with that. That's what he said that we should do often. We have to be careful with that. Why? Because it's part of a, if you will, a unification exercise. Right. Without that, man, there, there there's a problem. And the Lord's Supper isn't just a potluck. It's not just getting together and, 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 and there's something specific about it. It is a time to reflect on what God has done for us, above all, the salvation and the blood of Christ and that body that he gave so freely for us that we can remember his power, his work, his grace, and everything he's done for us. Those are important principles to bring to remembrance over and over and over again. So as we move on here, he's talking about this where he says charity edifieth. You know, there are a lot of people that know a lot of things about a lot of stuff. And I will tell you this, sometimes it generally means that they don't know anything. Generally what I find, I have a plethora of knowledge that is absolutely worthless. I mean, honestly, how many people in the world do you know that sits there and understands and can, and, and, and has the capability of having a conversation about chemical weapons? I mean, that's not something that you learn in school, folks. (laughs) That's something that, you know, that you sit there and you go, why? I, I don't know. That was me being foolish. But the fact is, is I'll tell you this. I may know a lot of things about the stuff, but if I do not demonstrate the charity to somebody that needs the help, then I have the problem. I'm the one that's at issue here. Because I am supposed to, as a body of, as a member of the body of Christ, and the same with all of us, not just because I'm a pastor, but all of us, every Christian is supposed to help each other grow. We are not to be weed killers to one another. We're not to be a person that, if you will, uses the smothering blanket 
on the body, uh, you know, on the body of Christ to quench the spirit. That's not how we operate. But what we're supposed to do is build each other up in Christ. That's the whole principle that we find between uh, over there in 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 First uh, Corinthians chapter three. And I will tell you this again: this is the whole issue of let no man beguile you of your reward. Think about this. He talks about those things over there, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, all those things that are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be tested by fire to see what sort of work it is, whether it was good or whether it was bad. And very specifically, what was the intent behind it? Why did you do what you did? And did you do it for the glory of God? Did you do it for the body of Christ or did you do it for yourself all of those things we wind up seeing uh, related to it. But what we find is that when it comes to rewards as the body of Christ, a lot of it has to deal with how we interact with other believers. Because we are supposed to be building up, right? And we're not building up an individual temple here. We're building up a collective temple in the body of Christ. Yes, there is the, the importance of the individual, and I understand that. But as together, as he refers to, we're all building this together for the body of Christ. So we must endeavor to do it the way God tells us to do it. And he says charity has to be a part of that. Charity has to be a part of it. Uh, go over to um, chapter 12. Again, chapter 12 in, in verse 31, kind of mentioned this, just want to mention it again. A little bit of a, if you will, um, review in verse 31, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13 about charity, the more excellent way. No, here he is talking about all of these things in chapter 12, talking about gifts and all of these things and, and, and how each person has a certain role and certain duty that they play in the body of Christ that they're responsible for. Not everybody's a mouthpiece. Some people are hearers. Some people are, 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 are doers. Some people are the actuators. Some people are, are, you know, if you will, the motivators, if you will, the feet and so on and so forth. And if you begin to study the body of Christ and study out those body parts and look at what God uses for all of those things, we have to, if you will, clearly be those individuals. I mean, you, you go through all of this in chapter 12 where he says in verse 15, he says, uh, verse 14, he says, For the body is not one member, but many, if the foot shall say, Because I am not in the hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole uh, were hearing, where were the smelling? All of those things are essential in the body of Christ. You know, people are like, I, I, I've had people ask, what's the purpose of the nose in the body of Christ? <laughs> the nose, I mean, why? What, what, what does the nose do for you? There's a, there's a lot of things the nose does. Sometimes people don't have a good nose. But I'll tell you one of the most important things that a nose does, it warns you. I smell smoke. What's that smell? Oh, I need a bath. 
<laughs> it warns you, right? It kind of gives you a, a, a quick and, if you will, immediate overview of the environment and the situation. You open a door and you walk into a house and you're like, oh, what, what is there? There's a warning, right? You might like, I smell dog. I smell cat. I smell snakes and iguanas and lizards. You know, I smell something that is not good. There's a problem. It helps warn us. That's just one element of what the body, what the nose does. And there are sometimes people that are in the body of Christ. That's their job. What's their job? Amos. What did he do? He went out there and he warned them. He said, you guys are messing up. You guys need to get yourselves right with the God or here's what's going to happen. And they got all upset with his message. And he said, I don't care. I'll go back to picking fruit and being a sheep herder. But you guys are responsible for what you do with the message. It's an important thing. It's an important thing. Uh, take a look at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And again, just to emphasize this, this principle of charity. And, and he says, after going through that dissertation of the, uh, of charity, where he says the greatest of these is charity in the last verse of chapter 13, chapter 14 and verse one, he says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. He says very clearly, one of the things that we need to do is we need to follow after charity. We need to make sure that that's part of our life. If it's a charitable thing, we need to do it. Starts tying in with James 4, uh, 17. Knowing to do good and failing not to do it, or failing to do it is sin. Paraphrasing it, if you will. We find that he says, follow after charity. Chapter 16 and in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians and here's, here, here's a verse that, that I think every Christian should have memorized. You know, again, as I've said before, you know, having Bible verses as artwork in your home is an amazing thing. It will change your perspective. I want to tell you this, it will also help you keep, you know, keep yourself out of sin. It's kind of hard to go into a room and you're about ready to do something uh, that is against God's word and there's Bible verses all over the place. The Bible is powerful. The word of God has power behind it. You put this one up somewhere, I guarantee you it, it, it'll start changing the way you respond. Let all your things be done with charity. Now, what does the word all mean? <laughs> See, you know, it's one of those, those, those ones that's like on self-defining. How do you define all? Well, it's all. I mean, it's inclusive. It includes everything in that category, everything that is being referenced. And here he says, all your things. You ever take a look at your things? I mean, and I'm not talking about your physical things. Not the stuff. Not the stuff over there that, 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 uh, when Joseph said, don't regard the stuff, just come. When he was talking to Jacob, 
But 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 here very clearly, what do we find him saying? Things we're talking about what you do in your life, the things of the thought, the things of the words, the things of the actions and the deeds. All of that, he says, let all of your things, everything that you are doing, be done with charity. What does that mean? It means that you're not the primary thought with it. It's not about your benefit. It's not about what you get out of it. We are trained by society and the world today to put ourselves as number one, right? Before you can help anyone else, you have to be in a good place. I don't know. I see Elijah doing a lot of things, but he struggled with some stuff. This I know, the Lord can use anything. How do we know that, 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 that Balaam's donkey had the right theological perspective? Uh, how do we know that he had the proper training in counseling about how to help Balaam in his time of decision making? He didn't. God just used him as a mouthpiece. And the same needs to be for us. Because I'll tell you this, demonstrating charity is demonstrating Christ. There is no greater charitable work that has ever been done than the work that was completed at Calvary. And with an open tomb that was empty. No greater work in this world has ever been done. They could figure out how to fix global climate uh, change. That still wouldn't be a great work. They could figure out how to fix uh, 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 worldwide poverty. They could find a cure for every cancer and every disease. Those still would not be even remotely comparable to what Christ did on that cross. By the way, those things won't happen until Jesus Christ comes back. Right? So just, just let's make that clear, okay? The world can sit there and they can try and they can do those things, but the end result is, is they never will accomplish the eradication of disease. They will never accomplish the eradication of hunger till the Lord comes back and removes that curse. Mankind's been trying to do that without Jesus Christ. You can't do that. You can't do that. But what do we find? We find that God is concerned with charity. Turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter five, uh, chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 5. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. He just tells you exactly what, 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 what causes charity to fail. Faking it. 
not having genuine faith in the word of God and trusting him. Oh, yeah, I believe the word of God, but then not doing anything with it. That's not faith unfeigned. Of a good conscience. Making sure that when we begin to demonstrate charity, that, that, that we, yes, are doing the things that God wants us to do, and we're not being pricked of hypocrisy. That's the whole thing that we're going to take a look at tonight. You go over to 1 John. You get into chapter 2 in First John. John, he gets right to the, the, the heart of the matter. He says part of the reason why things are, are not the way they should be is because somebody says one thing and does something totally different. Which is spirit of Antichrist. And here he's talking about the same thing. And he says out of a pure heart. Somebody that's going to have the pure heart, somebody is somebody that, that is wanting to do the will of God. And the end of that commandment with these things that are combined with it is we find that there's a charitable thing that is necessary, a charitable element that is necessary for us to accomplish those commandments according to God. Take a look at another passage. Go over there to chapter 4 of the same book. 1 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> Verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12. Now, I'll tell you this, we've got a lot of this backwards in the churches today. A lot of this backwards. Because in today's day and age, a lot of people think that those that are aged and have been in the church a long time, those are the ones that, you you know, if you will, that, that, that should be looked up to, and to a degree, yes, but here, very clearly, Paul points something out, that the youth of the church, and this is why the devil doesn't want youth in church, because they are to be the examples of the believers. He says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Today's day and age, what do we find the youth? Well, they got to go sow their wild oats. No, they don't. Because you don't want that crop being reaped later on. Right. Who ever came up with this sow the wild oats thing and was obviously not thinking that thing through? Because you know what that means? That means it's going to come back to bite them in the end. Not maybe immediately, but later. And sometimes I will tell you, it's hard to get rid of those wild things that, that shouldn't be there. I, again, a perfect example is we live in the Pacific Northwest. It's one of the most beautiful places that God has ever created, in my opinion. I, lo- I, I just, I love the area. But I'll tell you this, there's one thing that you know that if you've ever done anything in the Pacific Northwest, any type of gardening, any type of yard work, any type of clearing of land, there's one type of species of a plant that just seems to be the most invasive creature that God has ever made. The blackberry bush. <laughs> Not only is it sticky and prickly and things like that, the amazing thing is it yields some of the most, I mean, some of the most delicious fruit. Oh man, there's nothing better than a good old hot blackberry pie with a piece of, you know, uh, uh, whipped cream. I mean, true, I'm not talking canned whipped cream. I'm talking about the real whipped cream we make at home with the vanilla and the sugar and the, oh yeah, it's good. 
Or you can put ice cream on it. I don't care. Either or. It's good, right? But man alive, those things are the most invasive things that you have ever seen. They grow anywhere. Why? Because the bird eats the seed and sees it, it flies over. It's got a fertilizer already encapsulated. Bam, hits the ground. Boom, that thing is up, isn't it? Got to go pluck those things out and take care of it. Otherwise, it becomes just this massive briar bush that you can't get. It's hard to control. They're not native to the Pacific Northwest. Somebody introduced it. Yeah, let's find that person. They're long since dead, okay? They're not native to the Pacific Northwest. It's not a native species. We gotta be careful. We've gotta be careful. But here he says, uh, be thou an example of the believers. What does he say? In word. In word. That has a dual edge, just like the word of God. What you say and what it is you believe. Do you believe the word of God? It should be what comes out of our mouths. In word. In conversation. Meaning our words, our actions, and what our heart and our thought is fixed upon. That's the conversation part. Look at this in charity. In spirit, in faith, in purity. Those things he says, but in notice in there, he says charity. And if there's a struggle today, I will tell you this, it is a struggle for the youth to be charitable in any way, shape, or form. Because the teaching has always been you first. You first. Go over to First Peter. <clears throat> First Peter, and I, I and I think it's important for us to take a look at these passages because this emphasizes uh, what what God wants. First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four, <clears throat> verse eight, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Charity is an essential part of the body of Christ when it comes to what we just addressed in Colossians chapter 3. Forbearing, forgiving, all of that. People receiving offenses, people dealing with offenses. We just have a mindset of preferring preferring someone else without the outcome to us then guess what? We're exhibiting that charity. It's going to help us move past those things. But I will tell you this, the description of what Peter is saying here is fervent charity. Fervent charity. When I think of a fervor, I think of boiling pot. You get a you, you get some water boiling. You're gonna throw some pasta in there or whatever it is. You want that thing. It's got that good roll of boil to it, and the thing is just like it's active, right? Charity cannot be passive. Charity cannot be something that is casually done. Peter here is making sure that he says everything that you do. While Paul says, "Let all things be done 
with charity, all your things be done with charity. Here he says, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Above all the other stuff that's out there, exercise this, the charitable work of Christ in other people. Take a look at Second Peter. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one, verse seven. Let's back up here a little bit to uh, verse five. And beside this, giving all diligence, he goes through this list. Here's another one of these important lists that that God has in in Scripture. And again, when God starts listing something, it's a good time for us to pay attention to the list. Because often is the case, we, you know, we as believers kind of go through the, oh, it's a list, and we kind of read through it a little more casually than we should. No, God has it organized in that list for a specific reason. Just like the fruit of the Spirit, it starts off with love. Why? Because you can't have some of those other things unless you start with the love part and getting that understood. Because joy can't be had if it's in a loveless relationship with God. So again, here we've got another one. He says, giving all diligence, starting off with being diligent. Add to your faith virtue. So right out of the gate, we got three things. Diligence, virtue, or diligence, faith, virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, Charity. Taking that word charity and going back to the very first part, we have to be diligent in exercising charity. These other things that should bring us along to that point of where we are exercising that charity and we have to have the right mindset to be able to do this. So going back to Colossians chapter 3, when he says, above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, we find that God concerns himself a lot with that word. We don't understand what that word is about. We are going to have a hard time accomplishing this principle when it comes to interactions with other believers. And even towards the lost. And even towards the lost. Go back over to Colossians chapter 3, and if you will, take a look at verse 15 here. We find the eighth thing, moving on from charity, we find the eighth thing that we're supposed to be doing here that really, truly is one of the most important ones that we can look at. Again, in verse 15, it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now here, here he's, there's a lot of things that are encapsulated in here. And to a degree, some people can kind of parse that out and say there's, well, there's more than 12. We can kind of break down this verse and get a few more in there. And I understand that. But there's a connection between them all being included in this one verse. Where he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now the first thing that we need to understand is this, is that, you know, this is, 
you know, uh, one of these principles that is building upon another principle. Building blocks. Just like we were talking about in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3. It's that temple that's being built. It's, it's the construction process. It's one after another, after another, after another to build and accomplish the will of God. And this is that principle. And if all of those things that are being done above that we just went through, those other seven principles that we're wind up seeing, we find this one being present, verse 8, it comes with peace. Somebody that is exercising charity, somebody that is putting on, uh, uh, you know, all of those things and putting off what we talked about beforehand, some of those things where we're talking about setting our affections on things above, it will lead to this part of the list where it's going to start realizing, hey, I've got great peace with these things. One of the things that, 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 that always kind of gets me, and I, I think some people, you know, we, we've got all these Christianese phrases and words that we use, and I guarantee you that for the most part, a lot of Christians don't understand what they even mean. Right. They just use them because they picked them up somewhere along the way. Yeah. You, you, you ever have somebody, you know, you're, you're talking to about a decision or something like that, and, and somebody will say, well, do you have peace about it, brother? What does that even mean? And if you were to ask them that, they would probably stutter and stammer and not be able to give you what it means. But I'll tell you this, when we start talking about what the peace of God is, we go back to these other seven things. Meaning, what is the affection? What is affecting me more? Is it the the things of God that's affecting me? Or is it the things of the flesh affecting me? That's going to determine where my peace is. If it's things of the flesh, it's not going to be very peaceful because it's not congruent with the Holy Spirit of God. Anything that is of this world is enmity with God. We, we're not going to have that, we're going to have a conflict in our lives that's not going to be a peaceful thing. I mean, again, if we're not mortifying our members in verse 5, but we're allowing fleshly desires to rise up. There's going to be, uh, if you will, some disagreement. There isn't going to be a peace that's going to be there. All these things that we find uh, in these in these previous uh, verses lead up to this point of where it says, "And let the peace of God rule in your hearts." All of those seven being done above is going to allow this principle of peace to be able to to say, yeah, I do have peace about it. Because I know what my flesh wants and I know what God wants. I know what I'm supposed to put off and what I'm supposed to put on. And I'm doing those things. I'm not just thinking about it and, 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 you know, hoping something happens. No, I'm actively doing something about it. I'm actively putting off and I'm actively putting on. I'm seeking to do all these things that God has told me to do. And very clearly, you know, a refraining from lying to one another and specifically lying to myself. By the way, lying to yourself never creates any type of peaceful environment, by the way, in your soul. It, cre- it creates conflict. 
Because if you're lying to yourself, lying to yourself goes against the truth of the Word of God. And there will be conflict. There will be conflict. So if we're going to do this, what we're going to do is we're going to allow God's peace in our lives. Now, now Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. We may, he makes that very clear. And, and when we think about that for a minute, it makes logical sense with what Paul's talking about here. A prince is somebody that has authority. A prince is somebody that can dictate to another what needs to be done. It is to a prince that we yield and we are submissive and under subjection. So if he is the prince of peace, then we are going to let peace rule. We're going to let it rule over us. Dan and I were just kind of having a little mini conversation before about, uh, you know, certain individuals that do certain things. And, and it comes down to this. It comes down to their, their to rebellion, stubbornness, people unwilling to yield to an authority. And, and, and look, that's not just an American thing, okay? This is, it, it's something that is, if you will, very clearly throughout the world. And, and, and look, just as a casual example, just to show you how much it affects us. I mean, you know, there's individuals that talk about, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, sports teams and things like that. And there's some that are out there. They're called rebels, right? And talk about rebel pride and so on and so forth. Rebel pride. Rebel pride. Let that one sink in for a moment. You think anything about that is godly? Just the mindset of rebel pride. You're like, well, it's just a saying. Yeah, well, it's just a saying, okay. It influences every area of our life. There are people that are proud to be rebels. And I guarantee you, you know what drives rebellion? Pride. Pride. You won't tell me what to do. <laughs> the other day, I forget where we were. We were goofing around, me and my wife and something. And she said, she, she, she tells me something. And, and, uh, and I just kind of looked at her. I go, you're not the boss of me. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, you know, it's ridiculous, right? She laughs and she chuckles and, but, but, but therein is the issue. People can't stand to be told what to do. Now look, I will tell you this. If it's from the word of God, I don't care where it comes from. Josiah got into trouble because of that. King Josiah, one of the great, the greatest king that God talks about in scripture. He got in trouble because he didn't listen to a Pharaoh that had the word of God given to him to go do something. 
And the Pharaoh warns him, says, I was told this by God to do this, so you better not mess with me. So what does he do? He decides to pick a fight. Picks the wrong fight and ends his career early. Could you imagine standing in front of God and Josiah standing there? And God says, I wonder how many more years you would have had, Josiah, if you had just listened. You know, when it's a principle of the Word of God, we got to be careful about it. we got to be careful about it. But I say all that to say this, is we often don't want any things to rule over us. We want to be our own dictators. I'm sorry, but I would rather have Jesus Christ dictate to me what is peaceful and what is not peaceful than for me to try to figure it out on my own. I don't have to learn things the hard way. I can learn just simply by understanding. I don't have to learn that sticking my finger in an electrical socket is going to change my hairstyle. I don't have to learn that the hard way. I, I, I don't have to learn that if I go and decide to start tinkering around on my car and messing with the high voltage batteries, the, 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 the capability of the energy being released from that electric car could kill me. I don't need, I don't need an experience to do that. I can understand the, the fact that there's big orange cables that say don't touch. I can learn from that. I don't have to learn saying when it says, be careful, beware of exhaust or beware of blast on the back of a helicopter or on the back of a jet plane. I don't have to stand behind there to experience that. When there's warning signs, it's it's there. But I tell you this, it gives me great peace knowing this. That when I allow God to rule in my life in such a way, there will be a peaceful rule. It's not a, it's not going to be a a, a mess. Now there might be things that we got to clean up. We might have to tear down some high places, some groves, burn some idols, throw the dust of it in the brook Kidron and move on. But hey, it's going to be peaceful. And I'll tell you, when you do things like that, you go take a look at the kings that did those things. What happened in their reigns? There was something different. But here it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you are also called in one body. We're called to peace. We're called to be ambassadors of that. I mean, again, this is one of those things We have to understand this principle. If we are being called to a peaceful lifestyle, we're being called to these things, then we must have to, we must let it have the authority to rule. Not bucket. Not escape it. And again, this goes back to the preeminence of Christ, the theme of the book. If he is the prince of peace, He is going to be the preeminent one that rules in us. 
And if Christ is preeminent, we will have that peace of God that passes all understanding. There's the mindset. There's the understanding behind this. Turn over to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 85. 85. Psalm 85. And in verse 10. Psalm 85.10. Mercy and truth are met together. Pause there for a moment. In order for them to really be used the way that they're intended to, both must be present. It's like a binary compound. In order to have the right effect, the right result, mercy and truth have to be there. It's really hard to exhibit truth if there's no mercy involved, and it's really hard to have mercy if there is no truth involved. And we could spend a whole time talking about that, but the one that I want to get to is the second part, where it says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now, when you see that phrase, kissing each other, it means that there is a, if you will, an intimate connection. They are tied together for a reason. They know each other very well, and as such, they are supposed to be connected together. You cannot have peace without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In this world today, everybody is crying, peace, 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 peace. We all want peace. We want peace in the Middle East. You know what their peace in the Middle East looks like? Israel being non-existent. Which, by the way, you know what happens when Israel's non-existent? That whole area becomes a hotbed of activity. You want to talk about uh, peace? There will be no peace. They'll be at war constantly with one another, and in places will look like what Syria looks like now. Syria used to be a nicer place to go to and look at, and I wouldn't personally go there. But it used to be nice. Now it's just like bombed and leveled in places. It looks like Beirut. It looks like Lebanon. And let's use let's use Lebanon as an example. The Israelis didn't even have to get involved in that one to get that one destroyed. But they did. Why? Because they all fight amongst themselves. Well, how do we know that? Yeah, it's for years, generations. Take a look at Europe. You think Europe is a peaceful place? Not now. You got Ukraine and Russia going at it, trading, and you got everyone allying against this and that and so on and so forth. I mean, how many, how many thousands and centuries of years were spent fighting in Europe? There's no peace. There's no peace. But when Jesus Christ is present, there is peace. And I'll tell you, that's one of the most important parts about us. If we want peace in our life, 
free from anxiety, free from worry, free from those things that the world allows to affect, then we have to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. We have to let it. And coming from somebody that had a a chronic worry problem and, and, if you will, some anxiety and depression issues, I will tell you this, I had those problems because I did not let Christ rule and reign in my life. Every area. Him being the preeminent one. Him being the preeminent one. Next week we'll pick up with the other let. Not only do we need to let the peace of God rule and reign, but we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us. This is again another allowance. What we allow in our lives is what shapes us, drives us, motivates us, and causes us to act. What we allow. And if we allow something else to influence us and affect us, then we are going to have the wrong results. And we'll take a look at that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for this opportunity to get into your word in Colossians chapter 3. Pray, Lord, you just continue to use this to uh, uh, truly frame our minds about how we think and think about you and putting you as the preeminent one in every area of our life. That, Lord, we'd use this charity, we'd use this peace that you've so freely given in such a way, Lord, that we would glorify, honor, and praise you with all that we say and do. Pray, Lord, you continue to meet with us for this 11 o'clock hour, and, Lord, speak to us uh, to truly shape us into the Christians that you desire us to be. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.